Welcome to the CF Stories Podcast, where we take some time each week to get to know different members of Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. Our community is filled with people from different walks of life, from doctors to teachers to business owners, who all have unique experiences to share. This is who we are, and these are our stories. Hello, hello, everyone. This is Elliot here with CF Stories our podcast of Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. And here we go. This is an exciting one. I'm excited for this one. This is a new mini-series, a three-parter about generations in our church, Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We want to be a multi-generational congregation. That is a big priority for us, for representation, for everyone to be together to feel like you're not excluded just because of generation when you were born. And we're kicking it off with Generation X. Yes, Generation X. This was a great conversation. Three bona fide Gen Xers loved the stories they told, loved everything they brought up. Uh, Very interesting perspective on things. The generation before me, before my own bracket, and I'm just, this is a great conversation. And I want everyone to just really listen in on what happens here. So first part of this series, Generation X, here are their stories. Welcome everyone to another episode, CF Stories. And this is part one of a three-part generation series. Now, this generation series is very important because here in Christ Fellowship, we pride ourselves on being a multi-generational congregation. Now, what does that mean? That means is that every age group needs to be represented, something for everyone. And we want to make sure that there's a mix of people of different generations as we present the gospel, as we have our social events, our fellowship events. We are a multi-generational church. That's a big part of who we are. So with that being said, we're going to take a little trip back in time, a short trip back in time, not too long ago. And we're going to start this series with Generation X. That's right. Generation X. So Generation X, a little background. So according to Pew Research, Generation X is the generation after the famous baby boomer generation. Now, the years given for Generation X by Pew Research are 1965 birth years, birth years only here, 1965 to 1980. Now, these are rough beginnings and ends because calculating generations can be a little a little tricky here and there, but if you have to define certain years, Pew Research has done the work for us, and they have put that in here. And I am here now with three bona fide, certified, 100% grade A Gen Xers sitting in front of me right now, two in person, one virtual, and I'm going to have you, have them, excuse me, say their name, how old they are, year they graduated high school how long they've been a part of Christ Fellowship and what they have been doing in Christ Fellowship. We have a, we have a lady present, so we'll do ladies first. Can you just please introduce yourself? Sure. You um, proud I, Gen I knew it was going to be ladies first. I was like, oh, man. You have to. I was going to ask if it would be youngest first, but I wasn't sure if who that was. Anyway, um, Diane Boyd. Um, I um, am born in 1970, graduated high school in 1988. Um, I've been with Christ Fellowship for 20, 25 years. Is that, we just celebrated 24 Four. years. Feels like 25, but 24. 
Um, I've done, a, you know, a million things, been on the worship team, been involved in women's. I've taught Sunday school. I'm an elder. Been around for a long time. We'll go with our virtual guests next. Hey there, I'm Brian Mayfield. Um, let's see, born in 1971, graduated high school in 89, uh, went to Union High School. I'm a bona fide farmer here. Um, let's see here, been with Christ Fellowship uh, about as long as Diane was from the beginning. Um, done stuff mostly around the youth, helped to start the bridge, uh, done some stuff with Sunday school. Uh, dabbled in this and that, but uh, mostly dealing with the youth. And, uh, you know, enjoyed it thoroughly. And lastly, this is John Davidson. I am born 1970, January, so that makes me the oldest. Um, I am proud of that. Like I said before, I age like fine wine. Uh, graduated high school in 1988. Uh, activities in the church. A little bit of everything. Worked in the office uh, here and there. Uh, haven't recently because of uh, the craziness going on and having young kids at home. Uh, worked with the children's church recently. Uh, that's been a joy because I have two of my three have been in there, but I will have three of three starting in September. Uh, I've been coming to Christ Fellowship. I think we started, or I started in 2007. So that's what? Or 15. 21, so 14, no, 15, 14, yeah. 14 years. So I'm the new one to the church, but the oldest on the group. That's all right, though. That's all right, though, because you guys are all still the same generation. Now, let, right. let me ask, let me start with this. Um, let's start with the name of the generation, Generation X. When was the first time you guys heard of that phrase? And we'll get to some other phrases in a moment, specific phrases, but when did you hear that phrase? I'm going to say around 1990, and it was used as a derogatory term at that point. Yeah. I was going to say college, so yeah, 1990, same time. Yeah, I, I don't recall hearing that, or specifically when I heard that, uh, but like what Brian said, I agree. Every time we have a label on a generation, it seems derogatory initially. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Generation X, birth years. 1965 to 1980. So you all fit in that Generation X sphere. So Brian mentioned before that the term Generation X was brought up in a derogatory sense. And uh, John, you mentioned before, too, that that does, does seem to be the tendency when generations get a name, which is which is the case. I mean, you, now, before any of us here were born, you had like the beat generation. So that was a, the... Uh, 50s like you had to be like in your adolescence or in your adulthood in the 50s and that was you know, the beatnik image like that was a that was a like a, a slander against uh, anyone like right. that so you right. or, or then even before that to take it way 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 back there was the lost generation so this is an adult generation right. after the first world war um so you had like famous uh writers like ernest hemingway and there was the lost generation of artists that stayed in europe after the war and things like that so generations do have names that are like almost like seen as character traits and it usually doesn't come from within is usually a label that's just thrown on so speaking of that so here's a, a few other names for generation x and you tell me if these are accurate and when you heard these phrases so for example the latchkey generation 
Have you heard that phrase before? And if so, when and how did that phrase get on you as the as a label? I've heard latchkey kid, but I didn't realize that that was the late, our generation label. But yeah, that was definitely something that was prevalent throughout most of my friends growing up. So just to define it, latchkey kid, what what is the definition for that when you heard that one, Diane? Latchkey kid was a kid that their parent, uh, both parents were working and they would have a key and they would be given very strict instructions. And we were usually good kids and listened to our parents and followed those instructions. And we were told after school, you go straight home, you come home, you lock the door behind you and don't let anybody in. And, you know, get your homework done. Yeah. Until mom and dad came home or mom or dad came home. John, when did you first hear the term? Yeah, I think it was in my late 20s. Um, and I never associated it with our generation. It wasn't until researching this for this podcast that I was like, oh, oh, yeah, that is us. <laughs> so, uh, you know, again, I, 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 the, my perception at the time of hearing it was a negative connotation, yeah. not realizing that that was most of us. Like it was the generation where I, I, I'm, I'm not sure exactly how to word it, but it's, I, I guess wealth started shifting and and the middle class really came on strong and both parents were out working and we had an assignment we went to school that was our job and our second job was to come home lock the door yeah we could have a snack homework was to be done uh maybe a chore or two just to help out uh we had to watch our younger siblings i had a younger sister um but again once homework was done we could go outside and play when it was dark if they weren't home we'd come in the house and and again thinking about that retrospectively that was a lot of responsibility for us at, at a reasonably young age. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At a reasonably young age, I, I I can't even fathom doing that at this point. I I would like to increase my children's responsibility, but I don't know. Just definitely a challenge. What about you, Brian? Latchkey kid. I definitely wasn't latchkey kid. <clears throat> Living in a whole neighborhood full of latchkey kids, uh, we would pick each other up on the way to school, walking to school and drop each other off on the way home. Um, Literally had the key tied around my neck on the shoelace. Um, Got home, did my home, well, said I did my homework. Uh, (laughs) um, You know, made sure I didn't make a mess. My parents came home. Um, You know, everything had to be in order. Usually my mom and dad got home after dark, you know, during school years or school, uh, during school year. And um, so, yeah, it was a matter of all the kids in the neighborhood took care of each other. So it wasn't a matter of there was very little adult supervision for us. It's funny. Uh, first time I go ahead. No, go 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 ahead. First, first time I heard the term latchkey. Again, it was a derogatory term, and uh, like there was something wrong with it, and I wasn't aware that there was something wrong with it at the time. I'm like, isn't that just how things are done? When both parents work, you you have a kid, set them up, you know, make sure there's something in the house for them to eat. But now that's kind of illegal. You get arrested for that. Right? <laughs> that's right. It, it's funny how, um, right, so now, and you mentioned it too, John, now it's that's like controversial. But then, you know, going back, you're like, well, you know, 30 we, we years right. ago, I mean, right. you know, we did all right. You know, it was a thing. Like we were self-starters. We, we got things done. We knew how to handle things. Sure. It's funny because so I heard this term now. Now I'm 35. So I'm the millennial generation. I'm millennial. But I heard this term in school 
as a middle schooler. So this is the late 90s. So this is maybe like 98, 99. So I heard this term in health class, this idea of a latchkey kid. And similarly, myself and my classmates, a lot of us were like, oh, yeah, like, raise my hand. I'm a latchkey kid. Yeah, sure. You know, that's a thing. So by the time you get to the 90s, it's like a codified definition as opposed to just an idea of something. But it's interesting because I I grew up the same way. Um, And now because of, you know, my age now, my parents are older than you guys by 15 years. So they're the generation before you, the the boomer generation. And it's funny because recently I was talking to my mother about this podcast and preparing for it. And she was saying how, you know, her generation, so the generation before you guys, like your parents and my parents in a lot of ways, they were a generation, especially of women who were now working full time. So your childhoods seem to be the first generation to experience a childhood with two parents working. Whereas your parents, when they were children, that wasn't prevalent or if it was if it was if it was around it was uh, in small pockets as opposed to like a bigger macro level society my parents were not boomers my parents were pretty i mean old for our when we were kids usually my friends kids were younger than my parents my parents were my dad was born 1938 so he was the generation before i think the silent generation right so my mom did not work i was not a latchkey kid so it wasn't until we were like in high school that she went and got like a part-time job so I didn't really experience it, but I all of all, most of my friends were latchkey kids. Yeah, I, I, bouncing off that, um, my dad was he went to work. My mom was home. When I'm trying to think, it, it we were it was before I was double digits. I'll say ten, give or take. My mom went out and got a job. So again, more my sister than I. She was longer in the latchkey phase. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, it was just, you're the oldest, you're in charge. This is your responsibility. This is what you have to do. And, uh, you know, again, I initially you hear it as a negative connotation, but I, we all turned out mostly well. I, I, you know, there's very rare exception to those that didn't turn out well. We, uh, we got things done. It's interesting because, um, you know, the, the generational changes are always, um, it's not overnight, you know, there's like a, a slower transition into it, um, which is interesting because like you, how you said, you know, your sister is younger. She was more in the fullness of it, whereas you were old enough to understand the change. And by the time I get to my adolescence, and this is the late 90s, it's like a codified. This is a thing mm-hmm. as opposed to. This is OK. Right. As opposed to ten going 10 years, uh, 15 years before it, it's like. Well, wait a minute. Is like what's happening? Is this a thing? Right. right. 10, 10, 15 years later, like it's a thing, and it's been a thing for the past 10, 15 years. Yep. You know, so that's right. uh, that's kind of like that weird, like there's a mix, but then eventually it's just well, you know, that's time. The way it is. Yeah, time goes on, and that's, and people adapt to it and things like that. Now another another phrase, and this is the one I really want to hear about right here for Gen X is the MTV generation. All right, oh, MTV, yeah. come on, MTV. Debut year. Did anybody know? Does anyone know? 81. 81. That's right, Brian. Right. 1981 MTV all is in. on. That's all right. in. MTV. So let's talk about this. Is this an accurate phrase for someone in your age bracket, the MTV generation? 100%. 100%, John. Were you an MTV kid? I, we were all about it. 
Wow. By the time I was a teenager, homework was second to MTV. We'd come home, grab food, lay on the couch, and just zone out. It was all about MTV. What's your first MTV memory? Now, if you don't say a music video, that's kind of weird to me. But I'm, well, uh, <laughs> sure. I mean, it was always. Uh, there was I'm music trying to think of the. Then. I'm trying to think of the names of the the VJs. Um, uh, was it Martha Blackburn? I think or Martha something. So I'm the wrong one to ask. We didn't have cable. Oh well, actually, preceding uh, MTV was we were the first house in our neighborhood to get cable. Uh, we had the box with the uh, buttons and then the slider. Um, <laughs> And so all the kids came over. Unfortunately, because we were all boys, the first show that came on that we ended up landing on that held our attention was a Showtime Uh-oh. of a short, for lack of a better word. I think it was on the cable channel Showtime called Aerobicize. <laughs> I'm not going to get into too much details. Y'all figure it out. Uh, <laughs> this is a you know church podcast. But uh, yeah, we were mesmerized at that point. And MTV videos and we were more into rock music than anything else, but we tolerated the other videos, uh, the other genres of music that come out. Um, but yeah, it was it absolutely defined us 100%. Because again, it gave us vision like, oh, maybe we can be rock stars. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it, it was uh, MTV was amazing. Uh, it, it, it jellified our brains and turned us into pudding. Uh, my mother come home, she'd be like, how long have you guys been sitting on the couch? The house is a mess. You couldn't have cleaned up. Did you do your laundry? Yeah. So, of course, we all grew our hair long. We all got earrings. And, you know, yeah. What about you, Brian? MTV? Um, <clears throat> when MTV first started, uh, they didn't play black people's music, so I didn't watch. Uh, they didn't have anybody, you know, featured that was black, you know, as far as the, the artists go. So, no, I didn't really watch MTV until after uh, Michael Jackson's uh, Thriller uh, thriller came out, really. <clears throat> um, I really didn't have any interest. I'd watch Video Music Box. Uh, that was a little different on, uh, I think it was Channel 7 at the time. But, uh, no, nah, I really wasn't into MTV at all. Still to this day, music videos are something I, I don't even uh, bother with unless I just need something all in the background. Why do you think listening. then, Brian, that, that Generation X gets labeled as the MTV generation? Well, I think overall it's, it's, it was one of those things that across the country, everybody was seeing the same thing at the same time, able to identify with you know, each other in, in that particular moment. Um, I think that's a, a very powerful medium and a very powerful thing to have happen, to have a whole generation of people uh, sitting at home at five o'clock, you know, Eastern, and I guess about uh, three o'clock or two o'clock uh, Pacific, watching the same thing, seeing the same thing, hearing the same thing, getting excited about the same thing because the hosts are hyping something up, and uh, that's just uh, and it is, it is a, a mainstream kind of thing, and uh, I guess I just didn't fall into that mainstream personally, but I, I understood it. I had lots of friends who were in it. So one of the early uh, MTV success videos was uh, a song. I don't know if anyone knew it. It's called Video Killed the Radio Star, Video, yes. right? Yep. The Buggles. Yep. Now, that is funny because that was seen as uh, almost like a, uh, a, a, a prophetic of times to come. You know, this idea of video 
versus radio. And if it's funny, because you go back in certain songs, that there are songs about specifically that. Like, for example, there's a Queen song called Radio Gaga, which is like about Correct. that, about right. the transition from like an audio medium, like how Brian was saying, to a visual medium and having people, you know, connect at the same time with what you're seeing. And, and that kind of encapsulating, like, you know, John, you said, you know, it was like a social event. Correct. And that was the whole point that brought the neighborhood together in the winter, the rainy days. There was nothing else. There was nothing. There was MTV. That's all we watched. Um, as a matter of fact, that song, our uh, video killed the radio star. We always looked at that as a parody, not realizing how true that would be within five years. Exactly. Nan, MTV generation. I know you said you didn't have cable. Yeah, I mean, it definitely was. But no, we're not it judging was, you for not having cable growing up. It's I, all right. I grew up in the church, so MTV was evil, and you know, back in the eighties. So um, it was definitely a bone of contention in my house. My brothers were always very annoyed that we didn't have MTV, and it was always, you know, when are we getting cable? All my friends have cable; it's not fair. Um, but you know, we would see it at our friend's house or whatever. Um, I do think that the like videos for sure changed the way we even danced you know like before that there was dance moves of course there's famous dance moves throughout time but when you heard the song in vogue you know how to dance because you saw the video you know like there was thriller people are still doing the thriller moves today like it just changed even the way we danced so well it's that visual medium though and that's funny because if because really uh if you think about it for for your generation gen x you know mtv is really the story of cable television, mm. if you think about it like that, right? Yep. So MTV was just a popular um, component of it. But you guys growing up in a generation where, like, you know, by the by the 80s, you know, television has really become fully mature. Whereas someone growing up in the 60s, you know, 20 years you before one. you, right, yeah. there's, there's more sparse. But, like, you guys are, like, fully, I mean, the time has gone through the past like four decades roughly where it's like now like tv is the main thing throughout everything and then now you have cable which connects the whole nation coast to coast and now it's like you know youth adolescents teenagers can see all this at the same time and it's it's a pop culture yeah it's showing you pop culture and it's also spreading you pop culture because it's like oh this is what kids are doing out in new york city and you out in you know y'all out in idaho you can get down with this too. <laughs> well, and I had to look this up because I, I, I didn't have the numbers, but the album Thriller came out in November 1982, but the video didn't debut until December 83. So there was almost a year lag in that. But like Diane said, once the videos came out with choreography, uh, choreographed dancing, uh, Brian had, had mentioned um, – a particular genre like the R&B and uh, the R&B artists, the, the dance and hip hop artists. And again, I don't have all the years straight in my head, but because again, I, I was in the rock and roll and the heavy metal and all that stuff. So um, those other videos, I still recognized as being important because the dancing changed that became more mainstream. Um, as we got older in the late eighties, early nineties, and we'd go to clubs, well, there'd be battles, dance battles, because, again, everybody's doing certain moves. So, uh, again, I never bought into that because my weight goes to the bone. I, I just never <laughs> got into the whole dance thing, which was to my – that was a mistake on my part, foolishly. But um, I was just too embarrassed. I was embarrassed to admit I couldn't dance. I, you know, I didn't walk that road. But, um, but yeah, it was huge. Once the dancing – and 
it just the connection there, especially for that. And then for those of us in the rock and roll, uh, it was just a connection. Uh, you know, the, the images we saw, uh, oh, that could be us. You know, the Miami Vice thing, uh, the long hair, the, the particular clothes. And it, it, it was a total social event, uh, social engineering, the whole nine. It was huge. And that seems to be very different from previous eras and previous generations, which, uh, which I want to talk about that for sure. So let's uh, let's dive deeper into the uniqueness of the Gen X experience. So one thing, obviously, we talked about cable television, we talked about MTV and the visual medium really replacing the full audio medium of like radio, for example, cable television, obviously MTV. Um, but then also, I mean, some there's some big differences from your parents generation to you guys. Now, what are some key differences that you even reflecting now, everyone here? who's being interviewed is a parent, but what are some key uh, differences between your parents and you specifically? I think one of the um, big differences is education. Neither of my parents went to college. I was the first one to go to college of all of my, um, even, you know, none of my aunts and uncles went to college. So that education I think is definitely um, a big thing. And it was, it was just known that you were going to go to college. What else would you do? At that point, like in the 1980s, that's what you did. You went to college. Um, didn't know what I was going to be. Had no idea that there were so many different options out there in the world. I thought as a woman going to college, the only thing I could do was be a teacher or a nurse. That's what I thought the world was for a woman. Um, so glad to know that's not true. You can be many more wonderful different things. Um, but definitely education. And I, I think like, um, like they had this really intense work, work ethic. Like if I think of my dad, my dad was the hardest working man I knew. Like he just had – and loyal, loyal beyond fault probably. Like he probably shouldn't have been as loyal as he was for so many things. So I think those are the two things I think of when my parents is just super, super loyal. They wouldn't – they would never stab you in the back and super hardworking. So those are the things that I think are – I don't think that I'm not loyal. I'm not hardworking. I just think they're above any of my What, what do you think makes that though in, in terms of like uh, like drawing like a contrast? Because the thing is when we talk about our parents' generation, what I tend to notice is that um, it's like, okay, the tendency is to put the previous generations as higher on like a moral scale. And it's funny because sometimes – a generation above you will put themselves, but sometimes they won't. They'll say something like, uh, like, listen, we had our own problems <laughs> coming up too, because then, you know, it, it's always, it's always like a trickle down in a way. Um, because you know, your, your grandparents may have looked at your parents thinking that they were lesser. And then your parents looked at you like you're a lesser, like, you know, we mentioned the derogatory nature of naming a generation, but those differences, like you said, like you're they're not saying I am not working yeah. obviously, but it was, it was just different. No, I think um, I think they had to be hardworking, though. Mm. Like, we we went to college so we wouldn't have to work as hard as they did. Mm. That was mm -hmm. in our minds. Mm -hmm. We didn't want to have to work blue-collar jobs. We didn't want to have to, you know, work as hard as they did, so we went to college. And I think that's why, in my mind, they're so hardworking. My dad would work every shift he could to get more money, and, you know, a lot of my generation wouldn't have done that. We would look for the easier job, so we wouldn't have to work all those hours. So I think that, and I think... To your point, they their parents were so different than them. 
you know, their parents saw World War II. You know, they're, and my parents' generation was considered the silent generation. So on the flip side, the thing that they weren't good at was talking. They didn't talk about their problems. They didn't talk about their feelings. They didn't talk about anything, really. So that was definitely something that's much different than our generation. We talk a lot. So, Brian, what are some differences for you, Brian? Um, I was going to say the one thing that jumps out to me is my, our generation is so much more uh, consumer-driven. Mm. <clears throat> I think of some of the things I, I grew up with that my parents had had to catch up to, like Nike. I wanted Nike uh, sneakers versus Puma or or Pony sneakers. Uh, I wanted Jordash, not Wranglers. You know, I wanted. Uh, uh, Izod or or the Tigra shirts, uh, things like that. <clears throat> um, just the, that those brands that were are, are were hot at the time. My parents were like, jeans are jeans. You're gonna get you know the granimals that had the 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 matching tiger on the shirt in the past and let you know that you know you could wear them and you were matching. You know, like dad or mom. I'm 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 12 years old. I don't need those anymore. I want the Jordash that costs $70. You know, my father was like, $70 for a pair of jeans. What? <laughs> you know, now I just bought my son a pair of $130 sneakers the other day. You know, I'm like, ugh, how's that work? You know, I have never paid that much money for myself. But, you know, it's, um, we're so much more, again, driven by television and, and the things that they're selling us as, uh, what's cool and good even, you know, I can think of TV commercials for cars. Everybody's talking about how good the quality of their cars are. Uh, You know, uh, Subarus are inexpensive and built to stay that way, you know, you know, things like that. And, and these are just slogans that come back to mind. Uh, Take the Pepsi challenge and, and things like that. That means that, that means so much. Where's the beef? You know, these are all things that, sold us things and they and my parents were like kind of immune to it because they didn't grow up in that kind of uh consumerist mentality of let's let's get this it but to them hydrox were good versus oreos you know it didn't matter me i want the oreos mm-hmm. name brands totally so there is a uh, um a an image i was almost gonna say stereotype but it's more of an image of an 80s teenager as, uh, you know, a mall rat, just mm-hmm. just browsing 100%. and browsing and browsing. How accurate is that? That's what we did on 100%. weekends. There Once you go. Yeah. Especially here in this part of the country, yeah. Because it was cold. <laughs> in wintertime, yeah. you just go to the mall. You just go to the mall. Well, and, and again, this all goes back to the whole MTV thing. We are seeing these big-name people, these beautiful people, handsome guys, gorgeous women uh, in – obviously various states of dress, but what they were wearing, we wanted to wear what they were drinking. We wanted to drink what they were eating. We wanted to eat um, what they were driving. We wanted to dry uh, drive. Um, and, and, and you know, it's funny too, because um, um, you mentioned MTV specifically, but going back to the cable television aspect, you're also having a different type of celebrity, a celebrity athlete. Correct. Right. A, um, you know, actors have always been celebrities, but then, you know, the medium of distribution of, film and things like that yes. is also different as well. So in addition to MTV, you have HBO other HBO and Showtime other things movie too. channels. So instead of going to the movies, the movies came to our home. So we were able to watch more. 
um, home it's home box office. I mean, Correct. it's right there. <laughs> Correct. And, and again, this is what this is where um, celebrity statuses were born, and we were. It was a double-edged sword. It gave us the opportunity to dream, hey, I can be an MTV star. Hey, I can be a music star. Hey, I can be a movie star. Um, you know, without realizing it, MTV was the reality TV for us. That was the very first generation reality TV. And yet it also took blue-collar, like Diane said, blue-collar work. And it's like, man, I don't want to do that. I want to do that. Um, and to me, that was a big negative. Uh, my dad, hardest working man I know, picked up every overtime opportunity. They called, hey, we had a problem. He left. Um, and again, we never lacked for anything, thank God. But he was that workaholic. So, you know, there was this latchkey fatherlessness, weirdness going on. And then, okay, mom's working too. And okay, so if we do that MTV or sports or movies, we don't have to do this or live like this anymore. Um, like Brian said, the name brand recognition, um, you know, I was, my thing was cars. I, I wanted to have the fastest, the most beautiful. And I, I put all of my energy and time into having a nice car. Uh, always got complimented on my cars because they were spotless, clean, always running right. Um, you know, I wasn't so much into the fashion thing. Uh, I was a Levi's jeans and t-shirts, sweatshirts, whatever was comfortable. Um, but the work ethic I learned from my dad. I had a job from when I was 16. A football coach came in, Davidson, you playing football? Not unless the football team is buying me a car, coach. Ah, okay. Why? Because that generation put a high premium on athletics, whereas mine was I wanted to work and have a car. Um, uh, education, yeah, it was assumed I was going to college when I really didn't want to. I wanted some time off. Uh, th there were some other dynamics, but... Nonetheless, I didn't want to go right to college, strangely enough. I wanted to go to work, and that probably would have been the best thing, but extraordinary pressure from particularly my mother. Uh, my father was like, why don't you think about the military? That would have been a good thing for me. Going to trade school, that would have been a good thing because, again, we, we lost something in that. You know, uh, Again, it was a, a double-edged sword. Absolutely. It's funny because we're talking about education right now. Um, you know, for those listening, I, I'm a teacher. I've been a teacher for 12 years. And it's my mom. Um, again, my mom's you know older than you guys. Graduates high school in the mid-70s. Um, almost immediately after. Literally goes down the street to Lumberman's Underwriting Insurance. Gets a job and worked there for 36 years. Mm -hmm. This is on a high school diploma, which is in the... In the 70s, that's a big deal. And it's funny because recently uh, for school, for teaching, I was just looking up, a, look, uh, looking up some data to present to students um, for American history. And I was looking at uh, the percentages of high school graduations throughout decades. Now, it's funny because in that immediate post-World War II generation, so if you were like in 1950, less than half of the adult population graduated high school. But then as you go through the decades, more people graduate high school. Now, then it gets to you guys, and the high school graduation is a, almost a given. Minimum. And then it's like, okay, now there's college for you guys. And because economically speaking, it's like, all right, where are, you know, highest paying jobs? You, you need this degree as opposed to just literally like fresh out of high school and just, you know, working for a job for decades. Right. And just boom, there it is, you know. 
And obviously the trades have an important part, you know, to work in that as well. But just in the idea of just, you know, starting from a secretary, just fresh out of high school and just, you know, zooming up. Like, I can't even say for in my bracket either that that's a thing. I mean, if that's a thing for someone in my bracket, I mean, it's like, how, wait, how did that work for you? How did, yeah. you <laughs> how did that somebody. happen? You know, yeah, I got to know somebody or like what, you just showed up one day and that that's it. You know, for for my bracket, that's old school. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, for you guys, it's almost like a, a transitional period. Right. In my, terms my of like getting away say, from that. You could you could go down to GM, Ford, any mm-hmm. of the big manufacturers, you apply and get a job. Yeah. Uh, it, it was that you just you walked in the door, you filled out paperwork, you started on Monday. It was that simple. And that totally changed in our generation. You didn't do that. Yeah. You needed qualification. The other thing was our parents had the, the income to send us to school. Right. You know, um, my, my grandparents, my grandmother was scrubbing floors and my grandfather was working in a steel factory. You want me to pay for you to go to college? What? Go get a job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then now the idea of working through college is like, uh... right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I worked all through college. I worked 30 hours a week plus right. full-time school. So. And when, when that was when? In 88 to 93. Mm-hmm. And a lot has changed mm-hmm. since then, right? I mean, look at it now and you're like, how, <laughs> how would that I work think out? Most of, us, most of us ended up having to work during college, uh, especially at the end where you're coming to you to graduate. Then you got an internship in whatever field you, you were uh, studying whether or not you went into that field after you, you know, graduated or not. <laughs> the experience is different um, for obviously for different generations. And I mean, there's, I mean, a whole host of factors, right? Economics being one of the main drives um, and that develops, a, you know, technology develops a different view of life and the different, you know, uh, you, you know, like you mentioned, scrubbing floors. I always think about too, you know, the world before, you know, the washing machine, right? Where it seems like, it's funny because someone living now might think like, eh, I could get down in that world. It's like, eh, for how long? <laughs> Until you realize like, wow, this is this is rough, you know? Um, you know, you'd have to do that voluntarily now for most uh, most people. You would have to voluntarily not have a washing machine well, um, or, each, or access to a washing machine. With each generation, we want to see our kids do better than us, right? So my grandfather was, he worked in the coal mills. I mean, there's no no worse job, I think in world than working in a coal mill. Miserable life. He died when he was 60 years old. My dad worked at Wakefern 35 years. At least there's air conditioning in Wakefern. You know, it's not as you're not underground. And then, you know, now I I am a professional. I went to college. So I feel like each generation you want to see your kid do better. Doesn't mean that they don't have a trade because sometimes a trade is better. 100%. But, you know, you want to see them do better. Yeah, that's the, you know, the hope, right? In a large way. Brian? I was, I was going to say, you know, it's funny because I've heard something along the way that uh, said basically our generation was the first generation that was not expected to do as well as our parents, hmm. you know, economically. Uh, I, I think back on what my parents were able to do by the time that they were, you know, my age at a certain point. My parents had a house. My parents had two kids by the time they were 25 years old. You know, by the time I was 25 years old, I was still pretty much partying, you know, though I was in the church, I was still kind of having fun. You know, uh, I got married at 25, wasn't thinking about having a kid, didn't have a kid until I was 35, didn't have a house until, you know, I was 34, 33, you know, I'm just 
10 years behind where my parents were, you know, as far as those, those markings, markers go. Mm. So when, when you have that experience, um, it, it definitely shapes your, your, your own mindset. And then whatever you're going to bring out of that is also going to be interesting, mm-hmm. right? As you go forward in time. So continuing with certain experiences, let's talk about specifically the church experience for you. Um, now, we said at the beginning, we're all part of the same church now, Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. Um, since the beginning, the beginning, the first quarter onward, I guess, if I did the math right on that, I think Roughly, it might be yeah. no, I remember half. I missed the start. I, I came in. Uh, two thirds. I, I came in as we were finishing at Dwyer and this was getting worked on. Oh, you said nice. 2007, right? Yes. Oh, so yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it works out. So I, I'm not a math teacher, so I, uh, <laughs> I, I had to really think about that one. <laughs> so let, did you, and I just want to kind of generally say, because uh, I think someone mentioned before, but I can't remember who it was, grow up in church. Now, you, I think it was you, Diane. You yep. said you grew up in church. Yep. Okay. So what was your church experience? We'll start with that part. But then coming into Christ Fellowship, what was different or the same as now you've experienced that, especially in, in light of generational you know, upcom- upbringing and things like that? So I definitely grew up in church. My parents got um, saved under Pastor Tate when I was like a year and a half old. So just to talk about who's Pastor Tate, just Pastor for those Tate uh, listening. Pastor Tate was the founding pastor of Calvary Tabernacle, which used to, which is where Christ Fellowship kind of birthed from. So, um, and he was a pastor here in Elizabeth. At that time, he was a pastor of Evangel Church in Elizabeth. Um, and I actually lived in Elizabeth at the time when I was, I lived in Elizabeth until I was about five. But I consider my Elizabeth my spiritual home. I've always gone to church in Elizabeth. This is where I have learned everything I know about God pretty much in the city. So, um, but yeah, they, my dad felt that he wanted to um, impart a belief system in his kids. And that's why he, they went out looking for a church and they came across Evangel and both got saved under Pastor Tate, um, went through, um, you know, all the training, you know, to learn how to be a Christian at, at Calvary. Oh, actually, then it was Evangel. Um, and it was the 70s was like the Jesus movement, right? So there was a lot of Holy Spirit action. It was very Pentecostal. Um, there was a lot of speaking in tongues, a lot of prophecy. Even into the early 80s, um, I remember, you know, crazy stuff happening in church, you know, hands being thrown on people, people being slain in the spirit, um, a lot of spirit. Um, a lot of Pentecostal movements um, growing up. And I, I I, think I was blessed beyond belief because I had an amazing youth group. Youth group was a huge part of my life. I, Brian and I were friends from youth group. Um, I still am friends. My best friends today are from the youth group. Um, and we did the most amazing things, had the most amazing summers, had the most amazing times. Um, so I just, I am grateful for my my time in the church as a as a kid and a teenager Brian let's see i um <clears throat> i also grew up in church but uh in the little community i lived over in union there's a little church on a hill that i went to that was basically um <clears throat> it was non denominational but it had baptist tendencies uh so we had a lot of uh <clears throat> Naturally, this was a, a black church, 
we had a lot of ladies with big hats and guys with uh, the, the the fine suits and you know uh, there was some uh, dancing in the spirits and you know some high singing and some happy preaching and all that kind of good stuff. Um, I did not realize how much I how much you know I picked up over the years. Uh, so you know it it was very interesting and then. When I when my, I had a friend named Sean who brought me to to um, youth group with you know where Diane, where I met Diane and a couple other people and I said oh this is a nice place to meet girls so I, I kept coming <laughs> um, little did I know I would I, I get sucked up you know and uh, decide that I I needed this in my life and uh, take it seriously. Um, but it was very different. It was, a, it was a culture difference, you know, a culture shock because there was no dancing in the hall, in, in, in the in the walkways or in the in the in the pews like I, I had uh, grown up with. There was a different style of preaching or teaching, I guess I should say, call it. Um, you know, it's there was a very big difference. I think that's part of what kept me coming because it was something new, something different, something I wasn't accustomed to. Um, here in uh, here in Elizabeth, and uh, you know I, I I enjoy it. I enjoyed it. I still enjoy it. I I want to piggy off of piggyback off what Brian just said. Something to to realize too is that in the early seventies and eighties, Evangel, even though it was in Elizabeth, was predominantly a white church. We were a Pentecostal white church, um, and it wasn't until we later in the nineties then into the 2000s that we became to look more like the city. And I think that was part of the strife that um, caused Christ's fellowship to be born. Yes. Um, you know, we there was the inner city church and then there was the, the suburbial church. And a lot of the uh, members came from the suburb to come to church in Elizabeth. So, you know, I've seen that our church change that way culturally too not just generationally just but culturally completely make a a change i can understand that that's i mean that's that's obviously a big change too when it comes to locations right Mm -hmm. locations in in terms of uh who's living here right like the actual who of the city uh the type of people the type of cultures and things like that i can see that as a huge transition and um you know even like you said brian before you know coming from uh you know a, a a black church, um, which, like you said, non-denominational, but with Baptist, obviously heritage in some type of way, um, and then you know coming into that, and then you're coming into uh, a new setting, and you're like, oh wait, it's different here, you know, and then you can't, you it, obviously you notice it, <laughs> it's a, it's yeah, a big yeah. something noticed, but it's uh, at the same time bringing that in together is uh, part. That's a huge part of obviously the story of Christ Fellowship. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's in the name Fellowship, right? It's a, it's literally just a coming together a conglomeration of, of, of everything yeah, exactly yeah. exactly what about you john uh mine's easy i had no church background oh, nope. um <laughs> mom was raised catholic um my mom has a very negative viewpoint of of church um my dad was raised scottish presbyterian god's frozen chosen um <laughs> I do believe based yeah, on conversation the Calvinist uh, heritage there Ooh, buddy. from Scotland that's it um, I do believe based on conversations I had with him through the years that at some point he got saved down in Georgia uh, I, I'm very confident he went to some kind of uh, Christian church uh, that 
just loved on people and spoke the word and, and was proactive interacting with people rather than uh, um, ritual and rites uh, like the Presbyterian Church. Uh, and again, there's some fabulous people in the Presbyterian Church. I attended one for a very short time. Uh, but he had a very negative experience within that growing up. My grandfather was a, a deacon and an elder. And, you know, it, you even turn your head the wrong way. You're getting the backhand across the back of the head. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we never went to church. It was never a part of our life growing up. Uh, God was introduced to me um, in, I want to say, 91, 92-ish. Uh, as a matter of fact, funny enough, here in Elizabeth, Trinity Christian Center, um, hmm. and, uh, I, w- I grew up in Clark, so I was a white boy coming into Elizabeth and it, this multiculturalism and the, the music and the, the culture and the potluck dinner, the lunches once a month. It was fabulous. I, I was in love. I found a home. Where have you I'm, been all my life? Church? <laughs> serious. Like, but, but again, it was just, church? you know, everybody was serving one another and everybody was encouraging and, and the fellowship and like, I, I, I felt a tremendous connection, um, that I had never had before. I like that. It's, it's, uh, you know, coming together of different people's experiences and in a diff- in a certain time period too. Right. So the eighties, the nineties, or you say, even going back from the seventies onward, obviously, and the, the stories of, you know, bringing things together. Right. And then in that time period, and then obviously, you know, you're all still here. So that's a, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a positive as well. Mm-hmm. Huge. Gen X, it's time for the lightning round. All right. We have four favorites. All right. So I'm just going to shoot it at you and we're just going to go straight just around. I'm going to start with you, John, and everyone's going to get the same question. We're just going to loop it around. It's the lightning round. Don't overthink it. It's supposed to be lightning. That means it's supposed to be fast. All right. Here it goes. First one. Favorite movie growing up. Star Wars all day. Impressive. Which one? All of them. Most impressive. Okay. Brian. My heart beats. Hmm. Listening audience, there was a, a moment of silence there. Uh, I don't <laughs> well, know what sorry. that was, though. The, the five heartbeats. <laughs> I, I heard what you said. It's just there was a moment of silence. I didn't know what happened. <laughs> there was no oh. reaction. Oh. Five I heartbeats. Think Diane, the ro- all the Rockies. All the Rocky Rockies. one, two, three. You guys, you wait, pause. You guys pick series? It's supposed to be a movie, singular. Okay. Star Wars, the first Rocky one. Rocky three. Which one is the one that he did the Russian? Is that four? That's four. Okay, that one. I must break you. Yeah. Rocky three is the one with Mr. T. Right. I love that one too. <laughs> Next one. Favorite game growing up? Board game or like... We, we can say board game or sport. We, we can oh, do both okay. or one. Um, uh, I played baseball as a sport and Monopoly was my favorite game. Brian. Spades and uh, football in the street. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to say backgammon, believe it or not. Backgammon. Wow. Classic. Classic. Favorite TV show growing up, John Davison. Uh, when I was younger, it was SWAT because I was able to stay up till 11 o'clock when my parents were out. My great-grandmother was watching us and my sister was in bed. Uh, <laughs> but as I moved into the 80s, it was Miami Vice. Maybe Vice and SWAT. Brian. I'm going to go with uh, Knight Rider. All systems go, Michael. Oh, yes. Classic. I loved Mork and Mindy. Nanu, nanu. And um, Facts of Life. 
So one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. There you go. And finally, your favorite athlete growing up. Because you mentioned sports before, obviously becoming more uh, accessible in terms of viewing sports and celebrity athletes in the, the 80s. So who was your favorite athlete growing up? Actually, mine was the 1977-78 Yankees. I, I can't name one. Ron Guidry, Thurman Munson, Greg Nettles, Bucky Dent. Like the list, Catfish Hunter, uh, the whole team, like they just, that was my blow up in baseball and every one of those guys uh, were my favorites. Brian Mayfield. I I loved Reggie Jackson and uh, um, Lynn Swan. Every time I was playing football in the streets, I'd, I'd go up to catch a pass. I'd say, Swanee. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Whether I caught the ball or not. <laughs> Let's go. Diane Boyd. Mary Lou Retton. Okay. Little right. Olympics nod. Yeah, hey, hey, it's an Olympic year right now. We're recording this. That is the lightning round, Generation X style. So coming to the end of our time together here today, Gen Xers, I want you to fill in the blank. I have two statements here, and I want you to fill in the blank in terms of thinking of your generation, where you are in terms of time, space, etc. Um, obviously, you have names of generations that are before you. We've mentioned before, silent generation, baby boomers. You ask, You also have generations after you, including my own bracket, millennial, another generation younger than me, Gen Z, and even researchers to this point are trying to determine names for the next crop, which would be basically my children. Um, I've seen the name Generation Alpha thrown out there because I mean, if you hit Z, I guess you have to start over again. Start over. <laughs> Well, we should take that prophetically. Generation Again, Alpha. Generation That's Alpha. Cool. Guess, alpha generation. Guess, Let's go for it. I guess you got to hit. And I, we're, I don't think it's going to be we're you know, any, generation lowercase a, lowercase a. No. So, no. I mean, we're, we're in a very unique season right now. These kids are going to be indomitable by the time. Generation the, I, uh, lowercase I. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's that's what I'm praying for. But I was, I was just thinking in like an outline. <laughs> it's like lowercase a, like what's next? You know, how does that work? So let's fill in this blank. We'll start with this one. Someone older than me should know. And this is about about you. Like someone older than me should know blank. We could say at the end about me or about my generation. Someone older than me should know that we can do it, but we need their their knowledge to get it done. Like I can do almost anything, but as long as I have somebody telling me how to do it, you know, uh, my father showed me the other day how to fix a door frame in my house. I, I didn't have that information. I didn't have that knowledge. I never really tried to do that before, but he knew and he could tell me how to do it on the phone. And I did it. There you go. Yeah. Maybe I'm going to say um, that we remember, that we remember all that they've done so that we could be who we are today. You know, we remember how hard they worked and the things they gave up for us and um, the change that they allowed to happen through their generation that has made us so much better than, you know, they were, um, that we remember. John? I guess drawing from my work experience, The best way I can say it is we may not do things the same as you, but find out our story as to why we're not doing it the same way. Again, Mm -hmm. our our parents and previous generations, they just did it and they were amazing at it. We're doing it differently, but we had things that shifted us. Something that I I don't think uh, uh, I didn't see an opportunity to talk about, but briefly, 
divorce in the 80s became mainstream. Mm -hmm. Yet for me, when my parents split, that was the most horrifyingly embarrassing thing I, I could have ever endured. And I outright lied about my parents being separated and divorced. Mm. Lied. So, you know, again, things were so different as we emerged through our childhood into adulthood. Um, and as a paramedic, when I talk to my patients, especially the older ones, I get a chance to hear their story and find out where they're from and what they, I've met some of the most extraordinary people. Um, and yet even young folks, uh, sadly like heroin addicts, you know, you hear some of their story and it's like, man, one, one bad decision and their whole, the whole course of their life is altered. And it's just important. We take the time to hear the story and give each other a chance. Next one is someone younger than me should know. So we had older, now we have younger. So someone younger than me. Now, obviously, like I said before, we're all, everyone being interviewed is all parents here. But think of someone younger than you, not just your own children, but coworkers or even, you know, maybe a distant family member, you know, extended family or something like that. So what should someone younger than you know about you and your generation? I'm going to say don't count us out. We have a lot to give. And again, we could say it the other way around. Just because you do it one way, millennials, doesn't mean that the way we do it is wrong. You know, um, I was reading before we came here that we're kind of like the middle child generation. You know, we have the boomers that are still around that are ahead of us. And then we have the millennials that flank us on the other end. And especially in the workplace, sometimes it feels as a uh, Gen Xer that we have to compete with the millennials. But we shouldn't be competing. We should be learning from each other. So don't count us out. Kind of piggybacking on what you just said, Diane. Um, we have knowledge of how to do things where the, the younger generation can find out how to do things, meaning we've done the stuff and we have this ability to give them information and to give them <clears throat> with, to be a source of wisdom for them. Don't be afraid to ask us uh, for that because we will gladly give it. We're not holding on to these secrets. And yes, there may be new ways of doing them, but there's nothing like knowing you can tell time, but it's better to be able to build a clock. You know what I'm saying? You, you, it's better to be able to know how to do it manually rather than just jumping on your phone and Googling how to do it. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a different thing of, that goes on in your mind at that point. And I think it's too easy to Google how to do something rather than taking something apart and putting it back together. Yeah, well said, Brian. I agree. Mm -hmm. uh, and and kind of joining both together, um, it's something I tell Samuel um, as he's he, he's fiercely independent. But I tell him, you are not going to have all the answers. You're not. And sometimes you need to ask for help because it'll be easier and quicker and better. Don't be embarrassed or to afraid to ask for yeah. help. And you need to make those mistakes. Correct. So we had the, the younger, we had the older, we had the advice. We went through our uh, our little travel back in time. I know there's some uh, names of uh, people, places, things that uh, struck some memories. <laughs> I'm sure sent you back in a lot of ways. And uh, so to just just uh, end finally on one more one more note. Um, and we ask this at the end of every 
episode is just, and we could say just real quick as a generation, um, we could just have maybe just one person answer this one is uh, how can we pray for you? I think we are kind of in, we're that generation right now that's in that middle stage. We're parents and we're also taking care of our parents. So we're kind of have responsibility. I mean, I can speak for myself, but we have responsibilities on both ends. So maybe that, that, you know, as we see that next generation starting to go to the other side, if you want to say, um, to help us in that transition between the two generations. That's, a, that's an excellent uh, way to, to pray because when generations, obviously, in your own personal life, as you get older, that means other people are getting older too, right? right. And, Tra- and that's, um, pray for endurance through the transition. So endurance mm-hmm. for the transition. There yeah. it is. Well, Gen X, this has been a great time. I hope you guys enjoyed this uh, this time together. It was a pleasure. I, I loved hearing the stories. I hope this uh, this little trip down memory lane was enjoyable and made you also reflect on yourself and, and your own upbringing and your childhood as we continue our series here about generations in this multi-generational church. So thank you guys. Thank you, everyone. Amen. Blessings on you. Thanks. Enjoy. Take care, guys. Hey, everyone. This is William Hartz. I helped produce CF Stories, and I'm just here with a little bit of a behind-the-scenes note for you guys. We are about halfway through Season 1 of CF Stories. We have a few more episodes that are going to come out over the next couple of weeks. But even though we are in the middle of season one, we are already hard at work on season two. We're planning out uh, episodes, we're figuring out guests, we're booking people, and we need your help. So if you know someone from the Christ Fellowship community who has a story to tell, maybe they're doing something really interesting, maybe they have some really great experiences that you think should be shared, we want to know who they are. So... If you know someone who has a story that should be shared with our community, let us know on one of our social media accounts. You can send us a message on Instagram or Twitter. Our username is at CF of Elizabeth. And uh, let us know who you think should be on the show. And maybe you'll hear about them in a, a future season of CF Stories. We hope you're enjoying the podcast and are inspired by our community stories. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. You can also join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's story. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.